Pod Boys Productions. But now they only block the sun. They rain and snow on everyone. So many things I would have done. But clouds got in my All right, welcome on back to Movies Are Relevant on Brooklyn Rebound Network, the podcast where I, your boy, Pod Drew, and my good friend E-Nam, as I like to refer to him as, discuss some films uh, on a now monthly basis. My goal is to, to get one out once a month, and so far, in 2020 at least, that goal has been achieved not being able to hardly leave the house or go and do anything other than watch a lot of movies and have time to podcast. It does that contribute to things. I don't think it has anything to do with it. It's just our strong drive to talk movies on a monthly basis. How are you doing, Yadash Nam? Doing all right. Doing all right. Just, uh, you know, living my life the way that uh, I always have. Going to bars, dating women. You know, things that things that haven't changed since hmm. uh, the beginning yeah. of the year. The one change you have made is that you're getting, you're doing like all the way on the first date now, not vetting them too hard anymore, sharing drinks at the bar, you know, let me take a sip of that. Oh, let me take a sip of that one too, you take mine. That's you're, right. You're just getting a little looser with everything, right? That's right. And for the listener, by all the way, uh, he means that I've actually been married four or five times since quarantine started, so. Oh, well, I think everyone, that's common knowledge that going all the way is right, all, right. The way, all the way to the altar. I don't know if they were, I guess, Christian marriages, maybe you just went all the way to the courthouse. Uh, we don't have time to get into it, frankly. This episode, we're going to do another Choose Your Co-Host movie adventure. Uh, so basically what that means is we did it two uh, episodes ago. We both assigned each other a movie to watch. Now that one was themed more around a film that you wouldn't normally, that we thought our co-hosts wouldn't normally be that, it wouldn't normally reach for it necessarily. So for example, I made a Yudesh uh, Nam watch a, a movie from 1957. Still a banger year. You didn't love it, but uh, I was facing the crowd. You didn't, you didn't go for it like I was hoping, but I still think 1957 is, is a secret amazing year for film. I've watched a couple other films from that year since then. And uh, yeah, it's it's a year to be revisited. But anyway, by that same token, you had assigned me The Grudge uh, from the early 2000s, which which I had never cared to to look at before. And you famously loved. Yes. Uh, Well, no, that's actually the first lie you've told on this podcast today, Eric. That's right. That, that would be the first lie. I didn't love it. It was basically what I thought I would feel about it, which is I didn't care for it that much, and I wasn't scared by it. On that time, that was based around, you know, hoping that the other person would appreciate the film, but it, it was set up as, like, one you wouldn't have thought they would have been into, necessarily. So this time, we're doing it again, and we assigned each other films again, but this time, it was framed around ones you think the co-host would enjoy. And I had announced on the last episode which one you would be watching, which I assigned you, which was called, uh, which is called, La Ceremony 
I forget what the English title is again. I said it last time, but it doesn't matter. A French language film from 1995, I believe we we figured out. Mm-hmm. We we of course before we get into the two movies today, I want to we want to jump back into Pew Corner, of course, our famous now recurring segment. We simply must. But just to set up the episode, uh, finish setting it up. That was your assignment. My assignment was to watch Ari Aster's uh, 2018 film Hereditary, which uh, you had I think even. Back when we talked midsummer, probably, and maybe a couple times in the past on this podcast, you have uh, either been surprised I hadn't seen it yet or said I should watch it, etc. So this was the perfect opportunity to do that. Uh, so those are the two films, Le Ceremony and Hereditary, that we're mainly going to dive into this episode on Choose Your Co-host Adventure. Let's dip back over to, to Pew. Uh, wait, what were we calling it again? Let's uh, The Pew Review. Yes, I keep wanting to say Pew Corner, but it's the Pew Review. So this month on the Pew Review, I assume you still didn't see any new Pew movies. Surprisingly, none of the none of the many films that she's in that have been released uh, in the last two months uh, have made it to my. <laughs> well, of course you would, of course, need to see ones that had previously been released. She's currently slated or has filmed already uh, Black Widow, which is I don't know shelved till who knows when because of the pandemic but that's a good point to bring up uh and is what i wanted to talk about in the review today she really hasn't been in that many films so on the peer review today i just want to go look over her whole filmography basically and see what we may need to still watch i've seen one that you haven't still yet i believe which was lady Macbeth, which was kind of her well i didn't want to watch it because i've already seen the scottish play yes well as i told you when i discussed it on the show it is it's really nothing to do. I think it's a little maybe metaphorical, the title. You know, it really has nothing to do with the Shakespeare. If you say so. Play. But anyway, there are the last couple peer reviews. We got more into her personal life and tried to learn more about her. And I got to be honest, I'd, I'd rather talk about her films. I think she's kind of lame, personally, in real life. Um, so. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like watching her Instagram stories. Uh, I was like, oh, cool. Like, uh, they're just like us thing. But she really is just like us. And Well, like, yeah, and even in addition to that... Nothing really happens to her. Yeah, but even in addition to that, I was watching another YouTube video where the hosts of that were talking about, like, how... Well, they were making a... a they are drawing a comparison between, you know, obviously, even like we're doing now, talking over Google Meeting or Zoom or what everyone's doing, just talking heads on every TV show, everything, video... They were comparing how newscasters and people like CNN and all those people, they're trying to purposely like go somewhere where it doesn't look like they're real rich or anything. And they're like in a little room or whatever. Contrasted with celebrities who they're saying have no oh, no yeah. uh, awareness of or whatever. And so they showed they like had put a clip together of like eight or nine different celebrities from clips of videos they posted. And Florence Pugh popped up in one of those. And that's when I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> anyway. So talk about our movies again, and because the reason we do this is because we we thought, especially with the past year, 2019, she was just uh, the complete standout with Midsummer and Little Women. She was also in Fighting with My Family that year, which we had 
tackled as well on a, on a pod, reviewed that a little bit. So other than those ones I just mentioned and Lady Macbeth, she's only been in five other films, apparently, one of which I have seen, but I don't remember her in it. This was Outlaw King from 2018. It was a Netflix film, which... Oh, she's in that? I guess. Also, that movie sucks. It's so boring. It was one of the ones where I just threw it on and I... It wasn't like I wasn't paying attention, but it was just kind of, uh, you know, I wasn't like super invested in it. So mm-hmm. I don't remember who she played in that, but any, I don't, I don't know. The other films, so four other ones we might consider watching. One of them also from 2018 called Malevolent. Have you ever heard of this one? Malevolent from 2018? And now this one, this could be a one maybe you'd be interested in because I'm looking at the synopsis now. And it's uh, a brother-sister team that fabricates paranormal encounters for cash. Oh! It's more than it bargains for when it takes a job in an estate with real paranormal That's her. Fuck, I have seen that. That was not a bad B-horror film. Really? And is it one, do you think, with my long-standing... No, ...tepidness with the supernatural-type films, do you think I would not enjoy that one, or...? No, it's one of those horror films where they're investigating, like, a haunting, and it turns out that the haunting was a murder that they have to solve first, and also... The scares aren't that sophisticated, but, like, it was a it was a decent B-horror movie. I think it was a straight-to-Netflix. Um, but I, re- I really did like that. I think her hair is brown or black in that. I did not recognize her. And also, I might have seen that before any of her other uh, work. Probably was the case. Like, we might, well, like we just kind of mentioned, 2019 really was her international breakout, even though Lady Macbeth was, was lauded at the time, which was 2016. The Malevolence directed by someone named Olaf DeFlore Johansson. Well, that's quite a name. Remember, remember from our discussion about Scarlett Johansson, we're actually going with Johansson for those names. Uh, any of, because it's not spelled the same, but any of those are going Yo? That's pod canon, man. All right, I'll try to remember that. <laughs> um, and also from 2018, she was in a, apparently another adaptation of King Lear, speaking of uh, Shakespeare. Uh-oh. This one starred... Um, so she's been in two Shakespeare adaptations? No. Again, if you would, if you would, uh, Macbeth and King Lear. Or are you saying that's canon? You being confused about Lady Macbeth every time it gets brought up. I don't know about confused, but it is canon, yeah. Uh, well, you're feigning confusion at the very least. That stars Anthony Hopkins. She plays Cordelia, which seems to be a main character. I, I'm not familiar with this one. I've never seen it or read it. I can help you out here. Cordelia is the love interest. She was like a bratty like socialite in high school, but because of her proximity to Buffy and just like constantly getting into capers with them. Like she learns about the dark underbelly of like the actual world in Southern California. And then she moves to Los Angeles to become an actor after high school. And Angel actually goes to Los Angeles after he and Buffy break up in the end of season three. So they have a little thing there. She's a love interest for Angel. Okay, never mind. Also from 2018, Liam Neeson's The Commuter, a film I've heard of, but I've not watched. It's in his whole line of, uh, of uh, what would you call those Liam Neeson films? Like, I'm not going to watch that. Obviously, Taken is the main example, but he does. He has. he's in like eight or nine of them, I feel like, at least. Like, these... Yeah, they're big-budget, brutal B-action movies. Yeah, but it's, like, even more specific than that. It's, like, one guy versus the... Because, like, it's not just... It is, like, a whole genre of movie. Even, like, um, what's-her-name did one fairly recently. I feel like uh, Jennifer Garner. Charlize Theron did uh, Atomic Blonde. Yeah, Atomic Blonde... I'll disagree slightly. That's more a little bit in the line with that was kind of trying to be like a John Wick more so than a than a Taken, I think. But Transparently, yeah. I think. These are like a Taken kind of middle-aged A-list or former A-list actor against like everyone being a vigilante or something. Well, yeah, okay. So the, the lineage of that goes back to Death Wish, which sucks. 
Yeah, yeah. But uh, but Neeson really reinvented it for uh, this century, I feel like. I don't know. Yeah, she probably plays his daughter or something in that, if I had to guess. And then the last one, which is maybe... I'm lo- looking at this now. This is her, her earliest film, I guess her debut, from 2014, which looks kind of interesting to me. It co-stars Arya Stark herself, uh, Maisie Williams. It's called The Falling at their straight-laced girls' school. Friends Abby and Lydia find their lives touched by tragedy. The resulting wave of unusual behavior seeps into Lydia's home life. Lydia, played by uh, the aforementioned Maisie Williams. And it's free right now. You can watch it on Tubi right now. T-U-B-I. A site I have watched some movies on recently. So I'm finding out right now that that is a site that exists. Yeah, it has a lot of free movies on it. I've probably watched at least four or five in the past couple of months from it, I would say. Yeah, and maybe I'll add to this one. That film's directed by Carol Morley, which sounds like a familiar name to me. What else did she do? More of a documenter or documentarian, I guess, yeah. That's a name I've heard, but I don't know any, like, the names of any films that that person's directed. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm looking at her now. Dreams of a Life, Alcohol Years. Yeah, it looks like all documentaries other than this one. There, there's a Google result that says filmmaker Carol Morley, quote, I literally am the female gaze, okay? So, <laughs> all right, yeah, but obviously in, I like the acting of uh, Williams and Pugh, so I might check that one out. I don't know if I have really seen Maisie Williams and other stuff in Game of Thrones. I feel like I have, but I can't remember now. Didn't she, like, quit acting after Thrones? Oh, I don't think so. Well, may, I mean, maybe, but I don't remember that, but... Even if that was the case, this was filmed in 24. This was released in 2014. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, that's the peer review. That's the rest for a filmography we have to choose from. You realized you had seen uh, one that you didn't even remember her being in because you didn't know she was at that point. So, hey, that could be one to revisit on a future peer review segment, maybe if I check that one out. But let's go ahead and get into films we had mentioned up top our assignments now where do you want to start with yours or mine i'll let you dealer's choice for you let's talk about lasso homani okay and are you going to pronounce it that way for the rest of the show well i don't want to offend any french listeners well they'll probably would be offended regardless They're, they take offense easily the french people you know is that just a stereotype so my friend had this joke i've been to france but only to paris but i have worked with a lot of french people for the last three years so my friend had this joke where like if you go to Paris, people are the French stereotype that you see, which like you try to speak French to them and they're just like, fuck you. <laughs> Except they say it in French, probably. Right. But anywhere you go outside of Paris, you'll ask for directions and they'll just like immediately be like delighted that you're there. Like, oh, do these allied soldiers want some bread? But yeah, I mean, the, the French are as different to each other as uh, Americans are, I think. Okay. Well, I still don't care about offending them so anyway (laughs) this film does not take place in paris it's a small village kind of a situation if i recall right in Brittany, yeah Brittany, which is by the sea maybe or the north coast i think okay so i'd watched this for the first time maybe about maybe close to two months ago or maybe a little bit less but it's not the freshest for me but i still remember it pretty well and obviously i'd recommend it to you i cited some of the reasons at the end of our last episode why why i thought you would like it part of it was the your connection to the french language and culture or whatever part of it was i felt it had somewhat similarities to paris i had actually yes i was i was definitely gonna bring that up if you didn't (laughs) continue yeah 
And then I'd seen, I was like reading about the movie a little bit after I watched it, and I saw a quote from the director. Now, why am I, uh, what's his name? Um, Claude Chabrol. Uh, yes, Claude Chabrol, who's made some statement to the effect of like this, he considers it the last communist film ever made. And I'm not sure how long he lived after this. He had, I know he had a, a super long career. He was directing into the into 2009. I don't know how long he lived. Really? Okay. But he had a film come out in 2009. I just looked at his IMDb. I'm pretty sure he's dead now, but let me make sure of that, I guess. Clutch, bro. Um, died in 2010. Okay, so he was working up till the end, it sounds like. Good for him. Uh, and he has movies as far back as the late 50s, so quite a career. The Butcher, La Boucher from 1970 is one, is one I, I strongly recommend from me. Okay. Anyway, oh, also I'm seeing it's called The Judgment in Stone is the English title. That's right. Of this. That was a, a novel that this was adapted from, I believe written by an American. Maybe an English person. It wasn't written by a French person. Her name's Ruth Rendell, so that's not a super French name. But that, so setting it up like that, well, I guess I can also say the plot a little bit is this family of four kind of the, well, it's kind of like, you know, mom, dad, boy, girl, although they are from, one child is from the dad, one child's from the mom, and they're like step siblings. Yeah, yeah, it's a, what do they call that, a mixed family? I, yeah, I mean, that would make sense, uh, I guess. A mesh family. Kind of like a Brady Bunch, but instead of like three each, just one each, I guess. And that's probably what they call it. <laughs> a third Brady Bunch. So they are looking for a new maid, and they hire the, the mom hires this one off a recommendation. She had been working for this other person for a long time, and so they're pretty nice to her and everything. But it, there's kind of like the little bit of you know, it's like you're the mate, you're the help, whatever. And she has somewhat of a chip on her shoulder for a reason that's not, you know, it's closed that you kind of figure it out as it goes along. And then the other main character is played by Sabelle Huppert, who's in tons and tons of French films and, and some English language ones as well. And she is works in the town and uh, does not get along well with the family. She seems to have beef with them and a little bit vice versa. And she kind of insinuates herself into the new maid's life and becomes friends with her and then i'll let you take it from there and what did you think of the film over or give your thoughts or what you want to talk about yeah so this was great like i really liked this it reminds me a lot of parasite or i guess parasite now that i've seen this reminds me a lot of it where like they take such pains to show the rich people going out of their way to be nice to the underclass but the like the ways that they're like considering themselves to have been nice is still a way that connotes ownership, you know? Yeah. And there's a little bit like with the kids, at least or with the daughter, she's kind of like tries to be the friend a little bit. And she's like kind of going against the parents, like don't call her the help or the maid or like it's yeah. Well, it's, it's such a great touch. Even she meets the like postman post lady on the side of the road, Isabelle Lupere's character. And like helps her fix her car, and when she's done, like she wipes her hands on the like on like a little napkin, just throws it back through the window at um, Sandrine Bonaire's face, like bye bye, mm-hmm. like fuck you. This is great. It 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 does such a good job of, of demonstrating like how reliant you are on the whims of the upper class and how much of your life they feel compelled to absorb, um, or, or like take control over, and then like obviously if we're spoiling this. I was about to say, let's go spoiler territory in a minute. Yeah. Because obviously there's some big 
twists, but I do want people to watch this. Like, I would recommend it, so we could talk a little bit. Uh, no, it's so good. If you have any more non-spoiler thoughts, I would say get those out now. Yeah, I'd just say, like, uh, Isabelle Huppert's, um performance as postal clerk or whatever, they do a really good job doing this Thelma and Louise thing between the two of them, where, like, one of them's like, oh, I don't know, I don't have much of a personality, and she's just, like, out here just like delivering energy for the both of them which like is an obvious choice and not a comment on their individual acting abilities i think yeah i'm not sure what the other the main character what's her the what's the actress's name sandrine something uh sandrine Bonaire. have you seen her in anything else i couldn't remember that her but... no nothing else so she probably doesn't do any do english language films but yeah but she was very good though i thought yeah she was great she was underacting it a little bit but like obviously on purpose like it, like she was doing a great job of portraying someone who uh, secrets to keep. Yeah, I guess we have to go into spoiler territory to get to talk about her acting choices a little bit more, probably because there's some uh, something obviously mm. central to the film. But it was a good uh, pick by me. It sounds like to, this was right up your alley. Yeah, yeah, and like it really worked for me, including the use, <laughs> including the use of um, fuck. What is that composer's name? Oh, I would not be able to tell you. <laughs> um, it's a really like mid-range you're on your way up in in the united states it'd be the piece that you play before college which in fact i did play for my college auditions <laughs> it's a uh, cello, cello and orchestra solo also the yeah the family is like opera fans they're all sitting around the tv the four of them like excitedly watching i think opera or something or maybe just a right. classical music that you're talking about or whatever if it was an american film this would probably be like a white family like watching like gilbert and sullivan or something like that like or like singing that or something. that's like the vibe i was getting at least if this was an 80s or 90s film but um yeah it, that just really hammered hammered a point home as well i thought but let's let's talk about it you know skip ahead i guess i'll timestamp this if you are interested watch the ceremony or ceremony or whatever you call it um a judgment in stone so well i'll talk about the acting thing first i was going to mention which is with um the main character so it's revealed that she's illiterate which how long did it take you to realize that's where i was going the second time the second time that they did something like that there are several pieces there are several set pieces where like something revolves around her not being able to read or just like i don't care whatever being standoffish which is such a beautiful thing that this movie does too because these both of these characters the underclass people that like it's challenging you to find reasons not to side with by just throwing reasons at you yeah and i guess they spotlight it pretty hard when they're like the dad or someone's like oh she's great at cleaning but she never touches the books or something like that <laughs> that was like one line right right and that's not to say that like her illiteracy is one of the things to cite against her but she's very prideful and standoffish and so yeah she has a chip on her shoulders i think what i said earlier but like that's yeah. clearly the case the choice for the actress i think is to underplay kind of like you mentioned but like it's someone who shuts themselves off quite a bit because of that like obviously what she considers shameful yeah it's a really embarrassing thing yeah so that you could see kind of how you could see a why she acts the way she does with her job and then and kind of personal life and you can see why someone like the who pair character who's very um kind of volatile uh can kind of insinuate herself and like really kind of point because ultimately the it would be better if i knew if i remember what the character's name was what is the uh, sophie uh sophie yeah so sophie the, the maid is not a very intelligent person overall not just because she's can't read like that's not necessarily um like you could be intelligent and just not uh, something happened in your life where you didn't learn to whatever but like you can tell that she's not really 
that smart she is getting like influenced by someone you know that was my reading of it at least i don't know if you disagree but she was like someone that was pretty moldable to like go whatever direction or to like i agree that she was a cypher for sure there's not a lot that you can read in her performance but the further on it went and obviously like she's an allegorical character entirely she's the actual raisin in the sun like she is the rage of the of the underclass that like all it takes is an Isabelle pair i forget that that character's name it is jean right all it takes is someone like her to load her into a cannon and and, and like point it at the like <laughs> rich family yeah it's not to say that she's doing a bad job but she's like purposely not doing much if that makes any sense mm-hmm. it reminds me a lot actually of the kristen stewart performances that i'm very fond of from like personal shopper yeah so you use the term cypher i didn't go with that because i did think she was Maybe she's, like, seen as a cipher initially because they can't figure her out. Um, She's hiding things, but I was getting the reading that she's just not just a simple person. Doesn't have a lot going on in general, really. Well, I would argue that the character definitely wants to give that impression. Yeah, I don't know if I agree or not. Like, I'm thinking of it now, like, she... It's hard to tell how if she's trying to give an impression at all, or, like, you know what I mean? Well, I think because, like, she obviously killed her, like, previous employer. Because, like, at the very beginning when she's giving the reference, you can call her at this number, but she's in Australia, just so you know. She went, her husband died, Mm -hmm. and she went to Australia. And did she kill someone else, too, or, like, what? Possibly her father. They say that, yeah, they say that in in one of the... Yeah, I think that was implied. Yeah, see, actually, I don't know if I realized that she was implied to have killed her her former... Um, But that probably is accurate, I guess. But so they also, her and Huppert, like, Huppert has, like, killed her baby i guess or like i guess got off saying it was an accident which i guess it was but to, to hear her describe it yeah it's pretty callous yeah didn't want to have a child it sounded like so they both have like this kind of dark past in a way then they get together and that's what i mean that's where the parasite illusions really come in with the the graphic violence shocking violence at the end of the film where they murder yeah the entire family yeah and then that's then basically but uh so the family certainly didn't deserve their fate, but is that probably part of the commentary on like the social class kind of thing? Is that why Chabral is saying that it's like the communist film and things like that? Right, and it does such a good job. Like I was saying earlier, it dares you not to side with the the two members of the underclass that we see, right? Because like, did the rich people deserve to die? Probably not. I would say definitely not based on what we saw. I mean, but like, even at their nicest, they're treating the underclass like absolute garbage and feel so feel like they've done such a lovely thing by including them or or yeah it's the casual like it's not like they're actively trying to treat them like they think they're yeah that's just like the how it is kind of thing right but their entire life lives on the backs of these the other kinds of people and who pair the whole time or gene character the whole time is like bad mouthing them saying basically saying things that are that just seems to be purely conjecture a lot of it but like about the mom and stuff or whatever yeah but and then that's just yeah is there anything else you want to discuss with Last Ceremony before we get into Hereditary? Or uh... No, I think especially if we'd like to keep these shorter, I think we pretty much covered it. Uh, strong recommend. Great movie. Loved it. All right. So check that one out. It's uh, it's maybe a little bit hard to find. It's very hard to find. I'm going to tell you that it's very hard to find. If you can sleuth around, you might need to get it by some not some quite, not legal means or whatever, but you should check it out. All right. So for my assignment, it was Ari Aster's Hereditary, his debut 
I kind of thought this was like from 2017, but it was 2018. And so he had two films two years in a row. Back to back, yeah. I wonder, I mean, everything's like shut down now, I guess, if anything was in production. But I wonder if he does have something on the burner for his uh, third film. I assume he's got something in the works, right? Fuck. He told a podcast host that I was listening to one time when he was doing the Hereditary uh, press circuit. Something, but I can't remember what it was. I have an idea of how he could theme it around it, but um, based on his first two. But anyway, so I will say part of the reason that I didn't, there's two reasons I hadn't watched this up till now, or I was kind of putting it off. One of them was the less main issue is what did affect my watching of it was that I basically was spoiled on what on the big thing that happens early in the film. And now normally. I don't really care about spoilers. Like I can know what's going to happen and still enjoy something. Yeah. I think a good film or piece of book, whatever, anything, if it's really good, you shouldn't, it shouldn't rely only on twist or something that you can't, you know what I mean? Like it, it shouldn't affect it that much. In my opinion, I know a lot of people feel differently than I do, but anyway, that's why I said that was the lesser of the reason, but more of the reason I guess was that it just seemed like, I don't know. Uh, some of the dark th- i knew it was gonna be kind of brutal i guess basically like hard to watch it's so brutal that's made it more of the reason i'm but having seen midsummer i was getting more in the mode i really liked that a lot so i probably will like this too i think this was even considered by i don't know critics or whatever to be even i think critics liked both films a lot maybe just because this one came first they were and it was more of a surprise they liked this even more Now, that being said, I still think I enjoyed Midsummer more. That one had a lot more of the comedy, which I like. The black comedy, certainly. But this is, like, very, very bleak. For people who haven't seen it, I set up La Ceremony, like, with the basic plot. So you can go ahead and, uh, if you want, set up this one. Yeah, so a family lives in, like, I think, like, Arizona? It was somewhere out west. There was mountains. It was definitely in the... Oh, or, like, Southern California. Yeah, there, there are mountains, but there are, like, large forests. Anyway, they live somewhere... In the woods, like outside, like a prosperous, small-ish seeming town. Oregon, maybe, I would say. Yeah, maybe. In like a really nice house. She is a, like Tony Collette's character is an artist and her husband is a therapist? I don't think they ever said what he is. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. Before you continue, there is something I will say. He plays a therapist. So I was watching this on Amazon Prime. On some of the Prime movies, they give you, like, some facts and stuff. Or also tells you the actors when you, like... If you mouse over, it'll tell you who's in the scene, yeah. Actually, really, like, I, no, I, I, really I was, like, like enjoying it while I was watching this. And one of the facts they give... Fuck Amazon, but I, that's a nice feature for a player. <laughs> one of the facts they gave was Gabriel Byrne and the actor who plays the son were father and son in an HBO show called In Treatment, where he's a therapist. So that maybe that's what you're thinking of. Oh, you're, you're probably right. It said, like, they joked that they'll play father and son every seven years. That's funny. So, yeah, they live in this, like, enormous house, and her mother's just died, and the family's in, like, mental and emotional turmoil over that, and also over just, like, the fact of being a family and how hard it is to know another person. And possibly a history of mental illness in the family and events ensue i don't know how much we want to spoil in me setting it up well i guess i didn't spoil mine when i set mine up so that's probably fine yeah the the house is dope the tree house is real dope i want that thing yeah yeah that's awesome with a red light <sighs> so i mean there's a lot we don't have time to talk i mean we could probably just do a whole hour on this film alone i would say but the direction is great like i obviously see why aster is like a standout director even just like Especially, I guess, the 
what would be like the framing i guess would be the word for it yes yes all of his shots are so the way that he does his thing with the dollhouse yeah. tony collette's character paints miniatures like lena dunham's mom in tiny furniture haven't seen it. it's it's bad i won't don't worry go ahead <laughs> Uh, but she paints, like, miniatures. She makes, like, dollhouses yeah, out yeah. of, like, scenes from her life. Like, there's one of her mom walking naked into her room while she's breastfeeding her own child. Yeah, which she just referenced in a, in an anecdote to her daughter right before they showed that. <laughs> yeah. And it does this crazy fucking thing where it'll show, like, an actual house or an, an actual bit of the house or an actual bit of the dollhouse and then zoom out and you're in yeah. you're in a room and a scene's about to happen. I thought that was brilliant. That was really fucking cool. That was great. That was kind of like the opening, one of the opening shots, at least of the film, was that zoom in and then it's into the son's room. They do it a couple more times, yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I guess she's like um, supposed to have an art show with this coming up and they, they're periodically like, emailing her but like tragic things keep happening to her so they're like well we know you're going through a hard time we don't want to pressure you but there's you know we just want an update or like that sort of thing yeah yeah so we'll just do full spoilers at this point i did enjoy this film overall tonally i liked midsummer better but this was quite like a knockout kind of punch type of a film so here's what i want to say overall i guess the uh, we could get a little more into like some of the details, but with Astor's t- films, I think that Hereditary... All right, so both of his films, I guess, are ostensibly horror films, but they're really less about the horror elements of like Midsommar, like the cult or whatever, and Hereditary, the witch coven or whatever. And it's really more about like the themes or like the metaphor, basically, right? So Hereditary is clearly like a metaphor for like family issues whereas midsummer is like the metaphor for relationship issues or family breakup relationship breakup I was thinking like for his third film it, it, he might do like a society breakup or society issues around some type of quasi horror film or something. i mean that well this is a great time for me to announce that actually i've signed Ariaster to direct the eighth purge film so Hmm. Now, I do think that's a waste of his talent. You don't think Yeah, so. no, he absolutely shouldn't do anything like that. He should just be horror's Wes Anderson for the rest of his career. Just like, when the money's there, we'll make it, and you do whatever you want. So one thing, it's interesting you bring up Wes Anderson, and I do see why you're making, why you're drawing that comparison. But one note I did have for Aster is, I really like his dialogue is very um, realistic, I think, which is certainly not the case with Wes Anderson as his whole thing, you know. But right, right. I was noticing, especially in this one, I was noticing a lot of like little things that were like one scene was like it was just a random scene where he's like smoking weed under the bleachers before he starts freaking out with other stoner guys talking i thought they're really i doubt it was like improv or anything but the actors did a good job like that seemed like a very super realistic uh, scene to me i guess or just situation yeah i thought i had some other examples but so so my example is the scene where they're having dinner together and the thing that happens happened the thing that happened has happened we could just say it i always said spoilers so the daughter gets her gets decapitated <laughs> right and they're sitting at the table and he's like tired of like getting the cold shoulder from his mother um for for the last couple of weeks and he's like why don't you just say it why don't you just say that you blame me and she like starts screaming and everyone's having a bad time and the dad's like whoa 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 I, that also felt like a really realistic like family moment to me yeah oh that's that's another example i had um gabriel Byrne at one point i think it's when they're doing the first time they do the um she she brings them downstairs like they're gonna do the same sort of yes i don't know this could be just a flub of the line and they left it in but 
if it's purposeful, I really like it because he like puts a couple words out of order. He he's like getting upset and he like he says like a sentence and like some of the words are like transposed the wrong way or something. But that is like a realistic thing people would just say. You know, people would misspeak in some way, especially if they're like flustered or whatever. And I like noticed that. I was like, that's really good. Yeah. Um, I wish I could remember the sentence, but yeah, there's like a lot of directions we could go here, but it's so it's so good. At what point did you find out that it was actually a supernatural thing going on? Because it, it, it plays the whole time with the idea of the mental illness. It, it like owes a lot to the Babadook for stuff for that part of it. So here's the thing. Like I said, I was spoiled. I did the main spoiler I had was that the daughter dies at the begin or toward the beginning and is brutally decapitated um, on a, like a post. Um, which is crazy when the mom makes like the, the miniature of that. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I was also aware of the fact that it had something to do with the witches. I knew that. So. Oh okay. That being said, like the at least the first hour, maybe even a little past that of the film, could play just like with maybe a couple minor tweaks, could play just like a straight melodrama, right? Yeah, exactly. I, maybe you wouldn't feel that as much like not if you knew the twist of the daughter dying early. It may seem a little more horror to you, but like I knew that was going to happen to you. So even that scene, I was like reading it more like a straight drama. But with the girl, is that like, does the actress look like that in real life? Did they put makeup on her or is, is there something wrong with her? I don't, I don't want to be like disrespectful to her. I think that that is that actress's face, but I could be wrong. Is there some like, she, she looks strange, obviously. Um, and she's supposed to be strange. The character is a very strange little girl. I think it might have been like a makeups, no prosthetics situation. Okay, maybe that. Yeah. So, and yeah, all the acting is really good in this. And 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 uh, she's really good. And like with her sound thing. And then uh, <laughs> yeah. Tony Collette is great, obviously. And I think she's like one of the best actors at playing like what I would call a believably strange person or like a believably eccentric person. Well, she absolutely deserved to be at least nominated for an Oscar that year. Who won Best Best Actress in 2018, 19? 2018, I think we've talked about it. It was a pretty weak year. I don't know. I mean, I could look it up, but... She has a bunch of scenes in this where she just completely goes loco, essentially. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like everything that August Osage County, the film, wants to be. And she's just doing it in a horror movie. Oh, Olivia Coleman for The Favorite, which... I'm fine with that. That's yeah, that's fair. By the way, just a real quick aside. There's a new show on Hulu now called um, The Great. Have you seen this? Not or have you just aware of it? I'm gonna watch it, but I haven't been back to Hulu since I watched all of Normal People in like one Friday evening. Yeah, I'm not sure what that one is, but well, it's a show about the horny Irish teens. But okay. it's it's great. But this is written by the writer of The Favorite, and it's very like along those lines. Like obviously, it doesn't have Lanthimos's. Mm-hmm directorial flair but it's like a kind of a comedy version of the catherine the great story i've watched the first two episodes it's they're long episodes but it's it's pretty good i'll probably continue but the writer went back to the well with the term that really enchanted me from the favorite was cunt struck great but he goes back to the well with it on this in uh, i believe episode two of the great and it didn't do it for me this time i don't know i should have left it in in the one film well not everything's as good as the first time drew (laughs) <laughs> I guess so. I just felt like it, it felt more forced in this one. I don't know. But the same actor is in is in it that uh, Nicholas Holt, he, so he's doing his, uh, who is great in that. All right, that's an aside. Yeah, Colette plays, like, the, she's great at playing, like, these 
crazy characters, but like that are believable, I guess. Um, so especially the scene where toward the beginning where she's at like the the what would you call it like the circle the the uh, grieving circle what, why am i blanking on yeah that? but anyway she like starts going through her whole life story and you're just like a year like skin starting to crawl by the end of it you're like oh god this is awkward like um yeah man then she befriends this other woman that's when the more of the witch stuff starts going on who is that actor it's not margot martindale is it no no but very funny you said that because i wrote a note that says her name's ann dowd and ann dowd is is like a less sinister margot martindale i think exactly yes yes but yeah that's funny um yeah she, they're they're similar so so the second half of the film i definitely didn't i would say i didn't like as much as the first half so as soon as it got supernatural, you were like dusting your hands. No, it's not that strong. I still like the whole thing all the way through. It had me pretty riveted all the way through, but I liked the first, the first part better probably. And I don't even know that I completely understood the very end of it, like what happened exactly. Oh, I mean, at the end, literally, the boy wakes up after um, Tony Collette saws her own head off. Right. Um, after chasing him into the attic, and then he passes out somehow. But what was happening with he was in. He's inhabiting the spirit. Of, was Anne Dowd and, and, and the grandma and all them trying to stop this thing from happening that happened at the end, or did they want that to happen? They were trying to make it happen. This is a very classical. This is a very classical depiction of witches, where they literally have pacts with um, like satanic figures. So he is Paimon, king of whatever circle of hell or whatever. They were trying to get him a body. It wants a male body, and that's er. What God? It's been so long since I've seen this movie. Sorry. Because there's the one part at the beginning where the daughter says, "Like Grandma wanted me to be a boy." Right, right. Yes, yes, exactly. It wants a male body, so if you put it temporarily into the body of a female, like it will start to deteriorate and like covet the form of a male. That's why it's so important that Tony Collette says in the like grievers circle thing meeting that i also don't know what to call when she had her first child like she wouldn't let her mother touch him like she almost instinctively knew that something was wrong there that whatever was wrong with her grandmother would infect her um son which is part of plays into the whole metaphor the like mental illness yeah yeah it's more about the metaphor but then her grandmother uh when, when she got her fingers into the like second child the like the daughter kept like dressing her up as a boy and like, very clearly, would, well, if this is the child that I get to do this to. Yeah. But here's the thing, maybe, why I'm still confused, because there's the whole part of, like, Tony Clutch sleepwalking, and in the past, she, like, poured gas on the sun, and, like, the sun thinks she's trying to kill her, uh, kill him, whether it's subconsciously or not. But I was thinking that the mom was her mom was making that happen in some way oh like she was sleepwalk she wasn't really sleepwalking but she was being influenced by her whole life by the witches the witchcraft so like i was like were they trying to kill the son or something or but that doesn't make sense if they wanted that's why i was thinking like oh were they trying to stop this but other witches wanted him to be right like, that's but maybe i'm overthinking it i don't know I guess it is possible to read it that way. That's one of the great things about this. It's what we were talking about when we talked about um, Evangelion. Which, like, it is up to so much interpretation. It's like, wait, what did this mean? If I'm reading the film this way, then this scene means one thing. However, if I'm reading the film another way, and, like, those are such great things to think about. Yeah. I mostly, until the moment that they confirmed that this was absolutely a supernatural thing and Tony Collette wasn't freaking out, 
I was pretty sure that this was a, like, mental illness parable. Like, Babadook, if there were no actual Babadook. And then it just... <laughs> and then it just wasn't, and things got really fucking dark. So another thing that I saw in that Amazon facts thing, or anecdotes thing, whatever you call it, I think they call it the X-ray. There was a quote from Ari Aster on there that was like, he hasn't revealed what it's re- what happened really, but he says that he, his family had like a three-year streak of super bad luck, and he, he said he is taking his like nightmare or something and putting it in into all of you now or something. Oh, that's cool. So I wonder what really happened to him. I don't know. Is it, I mean, I guess you could read it as like he is a stand-in for the son and maybe his mom has like mental health issues or something or there's like a lot of deaths in their family. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I thought that was a... I didn't know that. Uh, that was one I noticed as well. Yeah, overall, it's, it's very good. Yeah, it's dark. It's super dark, obviously, but on a technical level, performances, everything was great. Yeah, the, the sense of place in this fucking movie, too. It's the thing that I remember most other than, like, plot points. It's just, like, the the red light in the treehouse and then the the weird, like, creepy coziness of the living room in the house or the dinner table or, like, her, her little room where she's painting. Like, I I don't know. I think it's brilliantly made. I can't... I mean, I don't know. Uh, A24 produced it. For his first film, I don't know how he got all of this together to, like... He convinced that people to give him like what must have been i mean it's not a huge budget i'm sure but it must be like a decent amount of budget and work to get all that all the miniatures everything all like the you know all the the set basically yeah yeah was pretty impressive yeah probably even more so than midsummer really because like that's mostly like outside and stuff they have to find a good location but I mean, I guess they built a lot of elaborate stuff for that, too. Well, they had to paint all those murals of people putting their pubes in. Yeah, now that I think about it. Yeah, I guess before we close it off, let me let me see if I can Google real quick and see if he'd uh, have anything in the pipe or, you know, anything in pre-production or something like that. Hell yeah. And he's only 30 fucking three years old. Jesus Christ. Fuck you. 34 in July. But... Oh, did he have a film before Hereditary? Is this a short film? The strange, the strange thing about the Johnsons. That's a 2011, yeah, short, short indie drama. It says 29 minutes. In 2011, so he would have been 22. Fuck you. Maybe a college. Yeah, film. that must have been a college film. Is it? Should we pronounce it? The strange thing about the Johnsons by your, uh, by based on your rule here. Yeah, no, well, it's your rule. You did it, but yeah. Yeah, cinematography, Powell Pogorzelski, and that is that the same cinematographer for his his film, all his films. Because the, the cinematography is, gets a lot of credit, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Not a thing that I know. Yeah, it is. It's like his cinematographer, it looks like. And he's done a couple other things, but... Yeah, good team there, for sure. All right, maybe it was predictable since we were... Since we, uh... This, this Choose Your co-host film adventure was based around something we think each other would like, but we, we both liked uh, the ones we got this time. Unlike last time, so... I don't know. Is there any other twist we could put? We won't do this one again too soon, probably. But is there a, a twist we could put on for a, a threequel, a, a third one of these? Maybe we'll pick a film of a certain genre for each other, or I don't know. We, we could come up with something. Well, I've had you watch a horror film both times, so I don't know what other genre I could pick. Well, I mean, there's any genre other than horror, Eric. I think you can. Yeah, but I only like horror films. I think we've I think we've made this clear. I mean, maybe we could do something where we randomly pick some, or something we haven't necessarily seen i don't know 
that doesn't have to be a rule of it, I guess, like that we ourselves have to have seen it. If it's not based around, we think you won't like this, or we think it's you you will or whatever if it's not i, I don't know we could talk about this off the, off there yeah yeah, yeah we'll we'll figure it out <laughs> too much inside baseball good episode today i think though enjoyed uh, enjoyed this discussion do subscribe to brooklyn rebound network for these if you're not already and look out for one yeah like i said every month here also check out some other shows on the feed here on the network doing a lot of good comedy uh, improv ones recently in this quarantine with my good uh, partners uh Enam, Padnam, and uh, Aaron, who is uh, the voice master. And we have a lot of good uh, friends, guests on that show as well. So, yeah, that, that's called Pod Trump Interruption. Check that out. I think Padnam has got a Last Dance recap podcast coming or something like to do with that, he said, coming up soon. So Yo! Check that out. That was good. And uh, I'm sure him and whoever gets to talk about that will be a good episode. Check that out. And uh, yeah, no thanks, y'all, on Twitter for you, E-Nam. Of course, we've got Drew's Views, my YouTube channel. Check that out for some TV reactions. And uh, that'll about do it for Movies Are Relevant May edition. Uh, We'll be up out of here like Tony Collette up on the ceiling. God. Peace. But now it's just another show. You leave them laughing when you go. Don't let them know Don't give yourself away I've looked at love from both sides now From win and lose and still somehow It's love's illusions I recall I really don't know love at all Boys Productions.